Welcome to Brown Bag Religion, the MF Casser podcast. Okay, I think we'll start now. Uh, welcome, everyone. And uh, uh, I am so happy to introduce to you Tatiana Snell, professor at uh, MF, um, who is uh, still speaking from Switzerland, I believe. Austria. <laughs> yeah, Austria, I'm sorry. Uh, so, um, uh, so she will present to us some of her research on, uh, and she's posed a truly very interesting question as the heading of her presentation, what do non-believers believe? And I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about that. And as uh, always, uh, questions and comments are welcome afterwards. And you use the chat or the or the Q and A uh, tool, and I will moderate our conversation afterwards. So please, Tatiana, the word is yours. Okay, thank you very much, Christine, and hello to everybody. I'm going to share my screen. So you can see my slides now. Very good. Yes, what do non-believers believe? I'm going to introduce to you the findings from a very recent study. And then I would like to take you further with, with thinking about these findings and connecting them to what we know from the literature. And um, I'm especially curious about your questions and contributions about the second part, but also the first. So let's start with that question. What do non-believers believe? And it is quite obvious, isn't it? Nothing. Otherwise, they wouldn't be called non-believers. And this, um, this fact is actually quite strongly mirrored in the literature. If we look at psychology and sociology of religion, non-believers have been called nuns for a long time. And I would say this is quite absurd to call people who are non-religious nuns, but there hasn't been any insights into what secular people believe. We actually asked them in a first question in our big study, what do you call them yourself? How would you personally self-identify? And these are just a few of all the labels that the people wrote down in our study, how they would like to be seen and called. And you see, it's a huge variety. We can't go into it now. But one word I especially like is um, normal. <laughs> but if we look at other words that are being used when it comes to secular people, we also see they always come from this negative perspective. Secular people are atheist, agnostic, non-religious, non-believers. So they're always identified with regard to what they are not. And an important question is, are there any positive and affirmative characteristics that we can use in order to describe and then also to understand secular people? And that was the, the original question that I posed a few years ago when I developed the dimensions of secularity inventory, which is an attempt to find such positive characteristics connected with secularity. And because we use this questionnaire also in the study I'm going to introduce to you, I will quickly walk you through what is being measured here. They are attitudes towards deity, atheism and agnosticism, worldview orientations, 
humanism, personal responsibility, scientism and economic materialism. They ask about the conviction uh, with which a worldview is held, skepticism in the general sense, existential search and dogmatism, and it measures how worldview is communicated. Is it concealed and kept private or is it being disclosed? And importantly, all of these constructs are measured as dimensions, which means every person who answers this um, inventory has a score in each of these constructs. People are to a certain degree atheist from zero to five. They can be agnostic from zero to five and so on. And that actually captures the complexity we see in today's world. And if we take that further also to religion, what we'll do later, we see people call themselves agnostic, religious, atheist, spiritual, and a lot of um, yeah, diversity, which is um, inherent in personal self-understandings. So let's come to a study I'd like to introduce to you. I did it with my colleagues Alpine de Boer and Hans Alma from the Netherlands. We had more than 1,800 participants from Germany, Austria, and the Netherlands. All of them understood themselves as being secular, non-religious. Our hypothesis was this secularity, of course, is not homogenous. There are many different ways of being secular. And these different ways can be traced back to how people self-identify, because we know that all over the world, if we ask secular people what they would call themselves, they tend to use mostly these three labels, atheist, agnostic, or humanist. We also trace these differences back to the cultural context and gender. So here are the findings. People who call themselves atheist compared to those who call themselves agnostic were marked by a very high degree of atheism and a very strong trust in science. They were also more dogmatic than the others, but they had very low scores in agnosticism and low scores in skepticism. So that is not theirs. They are clear about atheism and science. So that's why this pattern of characteristics we call decided secularity. Agnostics, on the other hand, reported very high agnosticism and also skepticism, but they had very low scores in a strong trust in science. They were also not dogmatic at all, and they did not like to disclose their worldview. And they even had low atheism scores. We called them open secularity. So what we see here is something like a continuum. Strong atheism and scientism on that side changes into very low scientism and atheism, whereas agnosticism and skepticism comes up. And those who call themselves humanists were actually located in the middle. They had medium scores of these, um, these constructs, so we could call them open but committed. Interestingly, this kind of open secularity was significantly more common among women, whereas the decided secularity was more common among men. And then, as expected, we also found differences between Germany and Austria on the one hand and the Netherlands on the other hand. You must know that Germany has a very high um, 
connection between church and state with regard to taxes and so on. And Austria is quite religious still today. So we put them in one category and compared them to the Netherlands, which are highly secular. And the fact that decided secularity was more common in Germany and Austria, whereas open secularity in the Netherlands actually supported a hypothesis that Landman and Zuckerman have posed, saying that if the public sphere is characterized by a strong presence of religion, then we also see a sharper, more defined or harder atheist response. So now I would like to take these findings further and bring them to a broader understanding of worldview identification. Because this continuum from open to decided atheism and agnosticism, we find a similar thing also in transcendent worldviews with regard to spirituality and religiosity. Religiosity is the belief in God, affiliation with a religion, and spirituality has in the last decades been more and more separated because people understood differently those two concepts. Spirituality can be defined as a subjective and individualized approach to a higher reality. And already last, in the end of last millennium, Sinbauer noted that a polarization was taking place, that people started seeing religiosity as institutionalized, formalized, hierarchic, rigid, and compromised. But spirituality on the other hand was seen as personal, alive, authentic, dynamic, and real. So that's why more and more people started saying, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. We also see an interesting distinction in this study I did on personality and religiosity spirituality. Religious people tend to be agreeable and conscientious, whereas spiritual people are quite different. They are high in novelty seeking, reward dependence, extroversion and openness to experience. And as you see here, this is a different approach to life, open and seeking and uh, excitable. And this is more friendly and serious and efficient. And actually this is mirrored in links with mental health. As several studies now show that spiritual people who are not religious report higher hostility, inhibition, depression, anxiety, paranoia, phobias, eating disorders, obsession. They have an elevated risk for physical problems and they're also more frequently addicted to drugs. So if we take this link between worldview and mental health, we actually have some findings recently that also show that with regard to atheism and agnosticism. And here it is the more open agnosticism which is related to lower well-being, more death anxiety and death avoidance, and a higher risk for physical and mental health problems. So if I put that together, together and sum it up, we can see that both religiosity and atheism have some similarities. Religiosity, especially if it is high, especially the same with atheism, it is decided in its confession and atheism decided in its rejection. Religiosity is institutionalized. 
atheism is increasingly institutionalized. If you think of humanist associations, the brides, and all kinds of organizations that come up. Religiosity can draw on strong structures of plausibility, as Berger calls it. For example, if it's one of the world religions, that is something. I belong to a world religion and we have a lot of traditions to draw on and dogma which tell us what is right. But also atheism has strong structures of plausibility because here we can draw on rationality which is the basis of our Western industrialized societies. There is science and enlightenment who are strongly taken for granted in atheism as the foundation of their worldview. And as Baker and colleagues say, atheism uh, is similar to religious worldviews in that it provides a belief system wherein group members believe they possess unique and fundamental truths. Let's now look at spirituality and agnosticism. Here we have a strong openness to the numinous for spirituality. And agnosticism, I didn't have the time to show that, but they actually have small positive correlations when it comes to agnosticism and belief and um, experiences of unity or other um, contacts with the numinous. Spirituality is searching and novelty seeking. Agnosticism can also be called searching because of its skeptic nature. Spirituality is kept largely private and individualized. And also agnosticism, as we saw, is more concealed and people say, this is my personal worldview, I'm not going to share that. And also it is non-dogmatic like spirituality. Interestingly, two colleagues from terror management theory posed a few years ago, theoretically, that there should be what they call rock worldviews, which are clear, comprehensive, unambiguous and intolerant. And that seems to map quite well on these two. And then they said, we also have other types of worldviews and they call them hard place worldviews. I find that a bit difficult, the term, but they say these other worldviews, they accept ambiguity and uncertainty, and they're also more tolerant and ecumenical. So what they had posed theoretically, we find in these data, and we also see that rock worldviews are correlated with stronger positive mental health. Whereas, whereas these hard places seem to make us vulnerable and come with lower mental health. So if I sum it up, we can say that there is this, um, this form of decided secularity which shows in atheism, trust in science, rejection of agnosticism and skepticism, and it's more common among men and in religious countries. Open secularity, is marked by agnosticism, skepticism, no big trust in science. And here we see more women and it's more common in secular countries. And then we have that correspondence in worldview identification. There is also open and decided transcendence. So we have a link between atheism and religiosity in that both are decided worldviews and allow for strong identification, which comes with mental health whereas agnosticism and spirituality are open worldviews, a weak identification, which comes with mental instability. So my main questions about this are, 
what is this identification with atheism and religiosity? Why does it seem to make us stable? Is it the certainty of what I believe? Or is it a kind of social belonging? Or is it the rigidity and the dogmatism? And the other question is, there seems to be a trade-off between mental and existential stability and an open, complex and diverse society. If we say we live in a tolerant, open society, we should advocate an open worldview, but does it mean we buy in mental instability with that? I'm curious about what you will say. Thank you for your attention. <laughs>